0: Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. We have uh, abandoned Ugh. the traditional teapot because it betrayed us last week. It did. It and did. by last week, I mean earlier today. Yeah. Because discerning viewers out there are going to see that we are wearing the same clothes. Now, so, I, yeah.
1: do, I do have one question here. This is gluten free, non dairy, and vegan. But is that drink paleo? This? I need, I need to know. Wait, where's this? It's right there. Oh yeah, gluten-free, Whoa. Non, non-dairy, non vegan. Wowie, wow. Is it paleo? Now, does mine say that?
0: I don't think so. I don't think Japanese that it's paleo tea. because I think a paleo person, like a really hardcore paleo person would look at this and say, what is Kevita probiotic culture? I don't think Aug drank that. Aug didn't have glass bottles and plastic That's true. labels. That's not vegan. I mean paleo. And you know what else is not paleo? The internet. If you pour it onto a leaf, they can lick it off. That's true. Like a dew drop. Uh, yeah. This tastes oddly like a probiotic dewdrop. Well, that is how paleo people need to consume all beverages well, off not, of a leaf. I don't... This is derailed. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I like to start my podcasts. <laughs> Utterly derailed completely. Yeah. <laughs> off the rails. No there scope. we go. Yeah, there we go. Let's 7, throw some of those videos in the show notes. 280 <laughs> degrees. How many spins is that? No parents, no rules, no problem. <laughs> We were skiing yesterday, and every time we get to the bottom of the hill, I'd be like, yeah, I was about to do a 1080, but I just didn't want to intimidate everyone around me. You know, That's really thoughtful. It was really thoughtful. Honestly, I just want them to have a nice day on the mountain. So I would be intimidated. It would hurt me. Exactly. Yeah, it would. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to hurt anybody physically. So I'm going to just go about my normal ski routine without busting out the 1080s so that I can definitely do. Well, you do that alone. Yeah, when I'm alone, when nobody's looking and when my little brother isn't there to mess me up. Yeah. All the time. You'd film it,
1: but that's cocky.
0: Yeah, I don't again, it's all about creating a welcoming environment. I don't want to intimidate anybody. So, I have to keep my ridiculous <laughs> ski talents a secret. Yeah, for the greater good.
1: Uh, there's somebody out there who, like, walks around all day thinking they're holding in their their greatness. There's There are enough people somebody out there thinks they're constantly being nice to the people around them by trying to be humble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the most humble, uh, actually. I'm more humble than anybody else in the world. I mean, I'm a gift to the world. And they don't know it. <laughs> they just don't. They don't know it. But that's okay because if they knew that, then I couldn't convince them that they're a gift to the world. Exactly. It's my sacrifice.
0: So... <laughs> Anyway, what is this episode about? Far from the lofty ideals that we are proselytizing probiotic right now. dewdrops? Uh, no, we're not talking about probiotic dewdrops. That's our next podcast episode. Yeah, probiotic cool dewdrops. It's a cool title. That's the name some... of my new band, actually. Probiotic dewdrops. You ought to call me dewdrop. Yep, there we go. Was... <laughs> just, that sounds gross, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Welcome to being 14 years old. Anyway... This episode, we're talking about the nuts and bolts of business. Um, we've talked about freelancing on this podcast before, and we've talked about some of the loftier ideals when it comes to entrepreneurship. But I don't yep. think we've talked much about the really <clears throat> detail-oriented stuff—the uh, stuff that I think actually puts a lot of people off of starting their own business uh, or is attempting it scary to. Stuff. Do. It is, yeah, and it's really, it's really confusing, like. What kind of business structure am I supposed to have? Uh, am I going to get sued right away? How do I do accounting? How do I even do taxes? How do I do any of this stuff? How do I get customers? All like the, the really nuts and bolts, you know, in the trenches type questions. Yeah. So I wanted to go through some of that in this podcast. Um I know you've learned a little bit about how to do this stuff over the years, but I've been living and breathing it for seven years at this point. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. I defer gonna... to your
1: expertise. I once researched LLCs versus partnerships versus stuff right. back in the diz There we go. When we were trying to run our music collective.
0: Oh, yeah. What'd you end up doing? Uh,
1: just a partnership. We didn't make it fancy. And it didn't last long enough to have made that worth it. Mm. So that's okay. But I did, I did a lot of research. And was very paranoid about a lot of things. As one who, that perfect use case, I was like, oh, God, am I doing this wrong? Are we going to get, we're not going to get sued, right? I don't know what would Immediately we Immediately sued. What would we even get sued for? I don't know, Martin. It might happen.
0: It could. It, it could, could happen. It could happen. Yeah. They could sue you for your music being too dope. Yep. See, if your mixtape is too fire, then someone will sue you for the burn wounds.
1: I would. That's just, the risk you run. I would like to take this chance to take down SoundCloud.
0: (laughs) Can we just delete it? (laughs) I was so happy when they said they were going out of business and now they're not. And all these internet rappers are still on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just so steamed. So I figured I'd start by just talking a little bit about my own entrepreneurial history. Um, So even early, early on, I was a little bit of an entrepreneur because instead of finding A paid like employee job. My first job was printing out flyers for lawn mowing. And I would just go put them on people's doors. And I got some customers that way. And my mom instilled into me at a very early age that if you're going to advertise a service, you need to have something that differentiates you. So I put on my flyers that I would also pick up your dog poop before I mowed your lawns. Because a lot of lawn companies are like, please have your lawn cleaned before we come because we don't want to have to run over stuff. So I said, I'll clean your lawn up for you and then I'll mow and I'll only charge 30 bucks because I'm a 13 year old kid who doesn't know what to charge yeah. at all. But that worked. I got me some clients. So that was like my first little taste of entrepreneurship. But then I went to high school and I tried doing some reading about how to start your own company and I got completely overwhelmed. And I remember specifically thinking that the finances involved in running a company like doing the taxes and the expensing and everything was so difficult that I should just never even try it. And I should just throw away any entrepreneurial ambitions I had and be an employee Yeah, because the money's easy, which I have since learned that a, I mean, it's, it's complicated, but it's not that complicated. B, it is worth it at a certain point to just get an accountant, you know, at which point they do it for you and you just pay them. Uh, and C, you can learn anything, you know, it doesn't, I and mean, it just takes some effort. Yeah. It's not impossible. And eventually I did learn the ins and outs of schedule C's and how to itemize expenses and all that kind of stuff. Like it seems super complicated at first, but it's really not that complicated.
1: Well, a lot of people have learned helplessness when it comes to technical stuff of like any kind, mm-hmm. anything that has special vocabulary and or even involves touching a keyboard it's just mm-hmm. it's, that's impossible for me
0: but a lot of times like
1: it's, it's, you can do it though
0: yeah you can and a lot of times these industries use purposefully uh, complex wording to make it seem very obtuse so you can't get into it they want to make it seem like it's very impossible and only a select TurboTax few. doesn't want it to look like i could do it by myself i'm gonna pay them yeah doesn't intuit own TurboTax? yeah I remember I was – I think I watched a John Oliver episode where he was saying that uh, it would be pretty easy to set up a system where the government does your taxes for you. Essentially just says, this is what you owe because your wage information goes to the government. Like all that information goes to the government already. We could pass a law today that says – all right, the IRS is going to tabulate what you owe and then you'll pay yeah, it. But what about the money to TurboTax? Exactly. Intuit and some other companies have lobbied really heavily to not let that kind of a bill pass, like really heavily. So basically their entire existence somewhat hinges on uh, keeping the tax code really complicated and making make it so that we have to do our taxes ourselves. And I will tell you, doing taxes as an entrepreneur is more complicated than doing them as a single person. Oh, they succeed. They do a great job. It's very complicated. (laughs) It is. But it's still doable. It's doable. So, and I've I've learned it. But, and hopefully this episode may guide some people to where they need to look. Yeah. Um, Because I know that for me, it was like this huge process of Googling forever and just hoping that what I was reading was correct. And in certain instances, I would literally read the actual IRS tax code to be sure. Like the mileage deduction for driving your car for business purposes, I just went to the actual IRS website and read that whole thing because I didn't understand how to
1: do it. Well, you don't want it's terrifying the idea of being wrong. The IRS is going to break my kneecaps and then make me eat them.
0: Yeah. Well, the most terrifying thing for me, actually, I think this was a big fear of mine in high school was that I would do it wrong and then get audited. And of course, everyone thinks that an IRS audit means to bang your door down or kick your door down and raid your entire business and... I don't know. There's like different levels of audits I've learned. Sometimes it's just like, hey, we think you made an error, so please fix it and pay what you owe. Mm. Sometimes it's like, hey, we need you to send in this paperwork. And then like only in the most egregious cases do they actually send somebody out to go through your books. Yeah. They're not going to be like, I'm going to need a 20. Looks like you missed it. (laughs) Looks like you missed 20 bucks in tax payments. You're going to jail forever. Yeah. You can kind of feel like that, to be honest. So I want to talk about some of the nuts and bolts stuff. And I want to start with different business types. So like you kind of alluded to earlier, there are four or five five business types that we're going to talk about. There are more, but there's only five that are worth mentioning. So there's a sole proprietorship, and this is the most basic one. And if you start doing freelance rap uh, beat consulting tomorrow for all those SoundCloud rappers and you charge them, and you don't set up a business entity, then you are automatically a sole proprietor. All that means is you're doing work for yourself. You're bringing in money. It's under your name. Yeah, you didn't need any papers. There's no corporate structure around it. And from a tax perspective, you would just report that as normal income. Um, It wouldn't go on like your wages and salaries box. It would go on other income. And that basically just denotes that there was probably nothing withheld from it, or it's not from an employer. Yeah. It's just money you made. And a sole proprietorship is attractive because it's really easy, because there's nothing you have to do. I mean, if you're operating under a business name, you may want to get that business name trademarked eventually if you don't want someone else to use it or something like that. But you don't have to, and you can set up Martin's Beat Consulting Service and have a website and do everything and really do nothing with the law or any sort of legal structure. And you can operate just fine. Yeah. And with a name like that, I doubt
1: anybody else is going to steal it. So yeah, nobody wants more I, I be consulting service a bit.
0: except for me. Yeah. I want it oh, okay. just to make you cry. So I'm going to take it. Um, the downside of a sole proprietorship, and this is the same downside with a partnership, a general partnership, is that there is no limitation of liability. And um, what that basically means is that Uh, Your butt's on the line for anything that goes wrong. So if your business is horribly in debt, that means you're horribly in debt. If your business gets sued for something, you get sued for something. You personally, your stuff gets taken. (laughs) Yeah. So if you screw up in some big way, you consult on somebody's beat and you accidentally throw a fart noise in there and they were actually playing that for some royalty over in Scandinavia and they decide to sue you for that, well, they're probably going to lose. But if they do win... Come after your personal bank account,
1: yeah, and that's that's a little scary scary. if you're in any situation where you think you're gonna get sued, Mm -hmm. or even when you don't think you're gonna get sued because sometimes you just don't know. But that's that's pretty scary
0: thought. Now, the industry you're in will, uh, in part determine the risk of being sued. Oh, yeah, you know, if you are a doctor. You know, every doctor is required <laughs> to have malpractice insurance because something can pretty easily go wrong. If you're a blogger on the internet or you're consulting on people's SoundCloud beats, there's very little that's going to go wrong. It's a very small chance that anything that could possibly be used to sue you is going to happen. So there's always that. You have your risk tolerance and then you have the just general amount of risk in your industry. Yeah. And you can also reduce risk for stuff like that without going to a different business structure. You can have a contract that your client signs that says, hey, if I accidentally throw some fart noises into your beats, I'm not liable for your offending royalty. That sounds like that. a
1: weird contract and I would not it. I have that in every Why contract that I put in up.
0: quotes? So what's going on? Here? <laughs> <laughs> I have that in everything. Uh, you know, so you can have a contract. And while we're talking about it, um, contracts in general are good to use. Anytime you're doing business with somebody, it's good to have a contract. So I designed websites for people. That was my first like real quote unquote entrepreneurial thing. Yeah. And I had a contract that's very useful, both for like limitation of liability things, but also for stipulating things like, oh, you can only ask for so many changes before I start charging you extra things like that. Um, And actually, I'm going to put contracts on my little outline so I don't forget to come back to them because they are very important. But you can also get business insurance. So if you were in a more high-risk industry, you can buy business insurance and that can cover you under certain things if you do something wrong, maybe. Or you, I don't know, if you break something when you're at a client's place. Oh, good example. So I was a web designer and in high school, I put like my web design ads on Craigslist. And this lady, uh, she answered my ad and she said, we don't necessarily need you to redesign our website. What I'm actually hoping you can do is set up some webcams in my dog daycare and then stream the feed to our website so the owners can log in and check on their dogs during the day. And as an impressionable and very naive 18-year-old kid, I said, okay, I'll do that for 50 bucks. Because in my head, it was, I'll just plug in a couple of webcams, hook them to a Ustream, embed the Ustream, and I'll be done in 10 minutes. Yeah, that sounds super risky for 50 (laughs) 50 bucks. I I might burn your house down. So what ended up happening was I go to this person's dog daycare. Uh, what I learned is she has two locations. So it's actually <laughs> two different jobs. And the computer was in a completely different room than the dog daycare room. So I had to figure out how to cleanly string USB cable. And I had to get a bunch of USB extenders. And then it turned into like the the biggest, craziest project ever. I learned the iron law that it always takes longer than you think it does and in this case we opened up our computer because it was having some problems while i was trying to get the the stream to work we open it up and it's just full of dog hair like i'm not even kidding like full to the brim of dog hair so we clean that out and then we go to our second location and that computer just dies permanently or (laughs) that computer just died the second location (laughs) made the first location look like a walk in the park the second location her computer died and also the only way to run the cable from the office where the computer was to the dog daycare room I had to go up into the attic of the building and string it through the attic and what I learned about attics of big buildings is it's not a solid floor up there it's like a lattice of two by fours, is, and if you step that. if you step off the two by four, your leg will go through the very yeah, it's fragile like ceiling. Spank, yeah, it's like my grandma's. Yeah, attic. You gotta watch yourself. So very fortunately, uh I had decent enough balance to not send my foot careening through a ceiling. You could have yeah. broke their ceiling, <laughs> injured
1: yourself, yes, but landed on a dog and been sued and in the hospital at the same time. Yes, that
0: that definitely could have happened. Yeah looking back on it, it was riskier than I thought. And I was also just like sweating up there and it was awful and the computer died. So of course, what I decided to do, get another computer off Craigslist for cheap because I wanted to make it cheap for her. And I'm like, I'll just put Linux on it. That'll be easy. Turns out no webcam drivers for Linux. So I, we I ended remember up a time where that stuff <laughs> didn't work very well for Linux drivers. That was tough. Yep. So we ended up having to buy a brand new Windows computer, but I got it working there was a web stream on the site. People could watch their dogs. It all went fine, and this lady, she was so cool. She was like, "I know you put in way more than fifty dollars worth of work." So I think she ended up paying me two fifty and then giving me that Linux computer. Oh, nice! And I took it to college and I learned how to use a So happy ending. Yeah, but that's, that's could not have been bad. bad that's not know? bad, but it was. Yeah, like, yeah, you were you were definitely on the line for all of that. Exactly. So there's sole proprietorships to go back to our types of business here. There are general partnerships, which are essentially exactly like a sole proprietorship, except for there are multiple people working on it. Yeah, it doesn't have to be just two either. Yeah. It could be, it's it can be multiple more than one. Yep. Just any, any more than one. Uh, but there is still no real legal corporate structure. It's still, everyone is on the line pretty much. And you share the assets informally. Yeah. Um, This was actually the first thing that with my web design business, it was a partnership. And later on in the episode, I want to talk about the dangers of partnerships because they can be dangerous. Sounds like a relationship episode topic. (sighs) It is a little bit. Yeah, it can be. I mean, it is almost like that. Uh, And then you get into the corporate structures. So the first one is LLCs. And the LLC is probably the one that most people are going to use. Really. So an LLC stands for a limited liability company, and it is a structure that can give you some protection from liability. Like the name implies limited liability. So if you have a limited liability company, now you have a separate business entity. You have to file papers with the secretary of state. Um, and then you have like a business bank account, business credit card in some cases, basically you're trying to separate your personal life from your business. When you do that, It becomes more complex because now you become an employee of the business, even though you own it. And for most people who have LLCs, say maybe like a a dentist that's practicing on their own or a lawyer or a freelance writer or something, you know, if they're doing all of the work themselves and every single dollar comes as a function of them doing work, then their salary is going to be every dollar of profit and it's going to be taxed just like an employee's salary is taxed. Yeah. Um, Another thing you can do, though, is like in our case, we have an LLC, but not all the money comes directly from my efforts. So I can set like a reasonable salary for myself. And then I can also take dividends on top of that or distributions. I think it's called. So it's more complex, but you have some protection in case you get sued. And there are some um, there can be some tax benefits to it. Actually, not in the LLC. Never mind. That's, so this is where it gets confusing. That's where you get the benefits of corporations. So there are two main types of corporations, S and C. The S corporation is what they call a pass-through entity, which means all the profits are still kind of on your taxes, but it is a corporation and you still can pay yourself. What's S stand for? I don't know. Super. Super corporation. It's
1: super corporation and then corporate corporation. And corporate
0: corporation, yeah. So the, the main difference I know about here and- this is not that important for people to know because most people will never form a C corporation is that C corporations are taxed as an entity. And then you are also taxed as yourself as well. Oh, and it can get, you know, there's like shares and stock and all kinds of crazy stuff that comes up with it. Buy low, sell high, buy low, sell high, or buy buy high, sell low and cry. Okay. That's my investment strategy, actually. That's a good one. Yeah. The S corporation is the one that's interesting. And that that's actually, I think I got a little confused. That's where you can do the whole, have a salary for yourself. And then there can be some distributions if you end up making more than your salary as well. So, And then you can have extra employees if you want, or you can just pay people as contractors. Or you can yeah. enlist the services of other companies, basically. So with everyone that I work with within College and Geek, they're all contractors.
1: Now, what, what would make them legally different as an employee? What would, what would that be? If somebody somebody wants to start a business, are they looking for contractors or what's an employee? What's what's the bonus for them? What's the bonus for who? Uh, the person who is watching this and presumably starting some sort of business. So why the, would they hire an employee and not a contractor? Why, w- why would they do that? What do they get? Um, Like stability? Like I got you for a long time? Really, not much.
0: Honestly, like it's just like a heavier if you commitment. Have an, if you have an employee, I guess the only real benefit from the employer's perspective I can think of is if you want to provide the stability of an employee relationship to the person you're employing. If they feel, if they would feel better about that. Okay. So really the reason corporations have employees is because the law, in many cases, requires them to. Unless you are meeting a specific set of criteria, uh, if someone's working for you full-time, unless like you meet some specific criteria, the government will consider them an employee, which means you are obligated to okay. provide unemployment insurance, you have to pay Medicare. Okay. Um, you know, On your taxes, you pay a certain amount to Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security. If you were employed by a company they would pay half of that and then you pay half of that. So you pay 7.5% of your income to those things and then they would match that. As a contractor, you pay all of that. You pay the 15%. Yeah. Now, somebody might on the surface level think, well, hey, it's awesome to be an employee because I only have to pay 7.5% on that uh, social security stuff. But where do you think that 7.5% on the employer site is coming from? It's money they're not paying you. Yeah. So in the case of you and me, we still have a contractor relationship. And that's because both of us have decided that it's better if I just give you all the money that I would have spent on those things. It's also easy. And it's easier. I like easy. Yeah. And the way that we work right now, it still works legally for us to do it that way. But if like, say, I bought your computer and we had an office and I was like, Martin, you need to be in this office eight to five every single day. Oh, cause like, you,
1: you can't control schedules. I can't control your schedule. Just work.
0: I can't control the way you work. Um, just, there's like a lot like, of restrictions. You, you get
1: there. the output that
0: you wanted, but yeah. Like, Essentially like we operate as it, as if you were a company doing work for me. Okay. So like, I can't really tell you how to code the website legally. Tables, nothing but tables. Nothing but tables. Yeah. And I want a marquee. Yeah. A marquee on every page. Yeah. Ooh, now you your employee. It's going to be good. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, you choose how to code the website, which works just fine because I don't know how to code a website very well anymore. It's still tables. You know, (laughs) it's still just tables. (laughs) It's tables with a bunch of CSS breakpoints. Yeah. Ooh, that would be terrible. Yeah, but I digress. That's that's corporations, LLCs and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. So for the budding entrepreneur, you are probably going to start with a sole proprietorship. If you have another person, maybe a general partnership. Um... Once you get a little bit more established, it is very useful to form an LLC for those protection purposes. Yeah. You know, and eventually down the road, you can look into the S corporation stuff. I don't know if I would ever do a C corporation. I don't understand the benefits of it. And I would like to keep my business somewhat small. So I don't think I need it. Uh, So let's talk about accounting. This is where I was really, really worried about being an entrepreneur. I had no idea. How to do accounting. I had no idea how to do the taxes, anything like that. So let me quickly run through how some of this stuff works. Essentially, you need to keep a record of money that comes in and money that comes out. Now, I took Accounting 101 when I was in high school. I took the college version of the community college and we had to learn double entry bookkeeping. You don't got to do that because there are tons of apps out there that will do it for you, essentially. We've had Fresh Books on this podcast as a sponsor in the past. Um, and a lot of my contractors use Freshbooks to invoice me and to do their bookkeeping. I use one called Zero with an X instead of a Z. And Zero just happens to work a little bit better for the type of work I do okay. than Freshbooks does. Freshbooks works really well for freelancers who need to invoice a lot of people. I don't need to invoice hardly anybody at all. And there are some other features in Zero that I do need. So I use that. And I think I pay even more than Freshbooks costs potentially. Um, and then there was one that I used way in the beginning called Wave Accounting, yeah. and that one was free. And that one doesn't have some of the fancy bells and whistles that Zero and FreshBooks has, but it does make it pretty easy to log expenses. It makes it pretty easy to generate a report, and it won't do your taxes for you, but it, the reports it generates makes it pretty easy to figure out how to deal with taxes. Yeah. So when you get money, you record that as money in on your accounting program. And when you spend any money that has to do with your business, that is an expense. And it is very important to make a record of those expenses because anything that you spend on your business offsets the revenue that comes in and you're only taxed on the net profit. So if I'm running a web design business and I do $10,000 worth of business in a year but I spent $2,000 on some new software, maybe a new laptop. Well, I only have $8,000 of profit to be taxed. Yeah. Which is pretty important when, you know, 20 or 30% of your money is going to taxes. So you want to keep a record of that. Also, if you are an entrepreneur, you need to keep your receipts. And I don't keep the paper ones. I just take a picture of the receipt with, uh, with ScanBot. That's the app I use. I used to use Scannable, but it got really buggy on me. Mm. Kept logging me out. So ScanBot works really well. It digitizes your receipts. And I think it also does optical character recognition. That's cool. So you could even search receipts if you had to. But I always just make sure I have those. And those are things you need just in case the IRS ever does audit you. You need to have records of all of your expenses. Otherwise, they're going to say, you just made that up. You know? Yeah. And I mean, like, it, it seems a little dumb because you could just bring up the credit card statement and be like, it's right there. It's proof. But in a lot of cases they want the receipts. So I just make it a, a little rule to always take a picture of that receipt and keep it in Evernote. Yeah. Make sure I have it. Um, and then taxes. So the biggest lesson that I learned, and I learned this lesson in 2013 and it was a very painful lesson is that there is self-employment tax and then there is income tax. And, what I thought early on as an entrepreneur is that if you are self-employed, then self-employment tax is what you pay instead of income tax. Oh, 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 what a- <laughs> my sweet summer child. I, just, <laughs> I wish. So <laughs> I used one of those tax calculators and I looked at the self-employment line and I put in how much money I thought I would make for the year and I got the number and I said, oh, So that's all the taxes I need to pay this year. How much did they hit you with? I can't even remember this point. I I thought, I think it was somewhere around like maybe 10,000 I thought I was going to owe. And so I saved that amount up. I also did not know about quarterly estimates. You're like, I'm responsible. I've got all the money. I'm going to pay it at the end of the year. We're good. And then this was literally during Christmas time. I was at Anna's house for Christmas around the dinner table. We were just hanging out and I had my laptop open. And for some reason I was Googling around about taxes and then I started, it, the, the pieces just started to fall into place. <laughs> oh, income taxes in addition to self-employment tax.
1: I um, love that you're trying oh, to give yourself oh no. a panic attack and like around everybody at the table <laughs> for some reason.
0: Oh no. <laughs> so yeah, I realized that income tax is not replaced by self-employment tax and it is more than self-employment tax. So all self-employment tax is, is that 7.5% Medicare, so, Medicaid, so, yeah, Social Security things. that you would pay as an employee and also the 7.5% that your employer would pay. If you're a sole proprietor or a general partner or whatever, you pay that whole thing yourself. It represents about 15% of your income. Yeah. I didn't know that then. I thought that was the only taxes I owed. That would be But beautiful. that's not true. Yeah. So then I realized, oh no, I actually owe about... of my income to the government. And I had to hustle and scrape for the next few months to pay back the IRS before it got to a late period.
1: And it sucks because you got to, you got to make all that money, right? But that money that you're making to pay
0: (laughs) off the taxes is also taxed. Yep. So you got, it was real bad. I didn't like it. I learned my lesson. And I also learned that when you're an entrepreneur, you have to pay quarterly estimates. So this was all hidden from me. When you're an employee, like technically The taxes that come out of the profit your company is making or the money you're being paid, it technically is due every month, but it's super hidden from you because as an employee, all you ever know is that there are some taxes withheld from your paycheck. And then at the end of the year or in April, you get a uh, return or they call a refund, right? And the only reason they give you a refund is because the way you have set up withholding at your job usually means they withhold more from your paycheck than is actually needed to pay your taxes. Yeah, so, so you're not you're not getting free money, you just already yeah. paid too much. And it's kind of silly like people get so excited about the refund at the end of the year, but really all they've done is give the government a, an interest-free loan yeah. for the entire year. Yeah. But they're like, "Yeah, I'm going to go buy a new big screen TV with that money that I got back from the government." It's like yeah, that should have been your money in the first place, and you could have put it in the stock market, but you didn't. Yeah. They you know, Uncle Sam put it in the stock market for you. And kept the interest. Well, that's, that's nice. That's nice, but you don't get the interest. I love my uncle. That's so nice. It's, well, hey, if you love your uncle. I got a cool uncle. That's like a little Christmas present for Uncle Sam. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or Easter present. That's fine. <laughs> so you have to do quarterly estimates when you're an entrepreneur. And all this means is that every quarter you send to the government what you think you owe in taxes. And this can be hard to figure out, especially if your income is really variable, but th- the easiest way to figure it out is to look at what you made last year, divide that by four. And if you're reasonably confident that you're not going to make a zillion more dollars this year or a zillion less dollars, send off that to the government. So if I, if my tax or if my, uh, my ta- tax that I owed last year was $10,000 total, then every quarter I would send off 2,500 bucks. Yeah, And then at the end of the year, as long as you're not too far below what you actually owe, you can pay off the difference without any fee. Yeah, they won't
1: be, you can't be perfect at the estimates yeah, no and, they, and they know sure. that. It's just, if you haven't, I don't remember the threshold, maybe it's like 90%. Or, you have, yeah, to, you have 90%. to pay like 90% of your owed taxes. And then they're like, okay, you rounded off the last 10. We'll just get that now from you. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And to allay any fears
0: here, if you are beneath that, it's just, a it's, l- like it's like, a, a, it's a, a small fine. Fee. I think that year when I never paid quarterlies at all, and I had to pay all that money back, I think it was like a $100 fee. And so,
1: that, that sucks, but compared to what you're probably paying in the taxes, like you won't care as much, just learn the lesson for next year.
0: Yeah, it was a slap on the wrist. Yeah. And honestly,
1: I think this year- You're not year ruined if I you have haven't paid... been doing it already this year.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think this year I've been paying more than I owe. Uh, and this so this is a little trick that I learned from Pat Flynn. Um, after this whole debacle with my taxes that happened last year, that's your phone, by the way. I thought uh, that was on Do Not Disturb. Oh, but you have a very special person in your life who can disturb you. Not right now. <laughs> um, what was this? Again? Oh, Pat said that he put half of literally every dollar he made into a bank account just for taxes, and that would mean that basically no matter what happens, he's always got money for taxes. Even if he screws up something, even if he does the math wrong, okay. the money's sitting there in a tax savings account. So now I have that. I have a special tax savings account. Every time we get money, I put a certain bit in there and we're good to go. So, yeah. Do you need to talk to her? Oh No, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. We're fine. Okay, cool. All right. So that's quarterlies. That's taxes. You got to pay them. It's not that bad. And uh, what I'll end on here is that uh, if you don't know how to do it, you can get an accountant. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You or, can get what, accountant. How do you do it? TurboTax? Uh, TurboTax, yeah. Okay, and what do you pay for that? I don't know. I do have to pay, like, in addition to the income tax, you you have to pay for an extra TurboTax package to do self employment mm. stuff. Okay. So I I don't actually remember what that adds up to. I think I ended up paying hundred and
0: something. I think I was maybe. paying two fifty a year for my accountant to do it. But for me, it I was also doing TurboTax for a while, and for a while, even in in uh, college, I did the VITA program which has accounting students do your taxes for free as practice for their CPAs. Oh, that's cool. So I got my taxes done for free then, but eventually I got to the point in my business where I just wanted peace of mind. I wanted somebody who was an expert to tell me, you're not doing it wrong and you're fine. Yeah. And that's worth the money for me. Okay, so contracts. Um, with taxes and contracts, this is where that common advice comes that every, every entrepreneur should have a lawyer and an accountant. And I will tell you when I was younger, I thought to myself, a lawyer will cost me $11 billion. And I think an accountant will too. So I'm just going to do everything myself. And there's actually value in that. I think when you're scrappy and you have very little money, it's worth learning how to do these things yourself. It's worth it for nothing else than just to like at that time, it's like
1: recommitting to yourself. Yeah. Saying, I take this so seriously. I'm going to work this hard at it.
0: Yep. But now whenever I get a contract if it is a sufficiently complicated contract, meaning more than say three pages, I will send it to my lawyer and have her look over it. Because a lot of times there are things in there that I would never catch. For instance, I had a contract come to me recently and there was like a limitation of liability clause in there. And usually people skip right over those because they're the most boilerplatey, like hard to read portions of a contract. But I read mine and I was thinking, This is worded in a way that basically says, if I screw up, I owe them my entire life and everything that my children will ever make. But if they screw up, they don't owe me almost anything. And I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. So I had my lawyer look at it and she was like, yeah, this is a little bit one-sided. So you should just tell them to strike this clause if you're going to sign it. So that could potentially save me a lot of money in the future.
1: Professionals are useful. It it turns out that as long as this (laughs) stuff remains complicated, and it will... Yep. It's uh, it's not a bad thing to rely on somebody else who knows way more about
0: it. It's, yeah. It turns out people who know the law are, are worth consulting in certain cases. But I am very aware that the services of a lawyer can be expensive. Yeah. I'll often pay like 150 bucks to have my lawyer look at a contract if she has to look at it a few times because sometimes there is back and forth negotiation. Um, so in the beginning, what you can do is, one, you can find boilerplate contracts – And you can use those. And obviously a lawyer isn't vetting them and I'm not a lawyer. So I don't want to say like, this is totally fine to do, but it's often better to have a modified boilerplate sample contract than to have no contract at all. Yeah. Um, And there's also an app called Shake by Legal Shield. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. And I've used this actually, my video editors, we had a contract at one point because they needed new computer hardware to be able to do the kind of animations that I wanted, but they needed money for the computer hardware, so I prepaid for a certain number of videos, okay. so that way they could buy new computers, and because I was prepaying, I was like, we should have a contract. And with Shake, it was super easy. They was just like a little wizard. We agreed to do this many videos for this price, and then it kind of takes care of the boilerplate. That's so cool. that's free, and again, it's better than having no contract. So yeah, taxes, contracts, accounting, We've gone through all that business types and let's see here. What do we have next? We have everything is funnels and I want to talk about different value types, all kinds of cool stuff like that. We're going to get into some more fun stuff. I think the taxes and contracts is maybe the little,
1: oh, I love taxes and contracts. It
0: it is pretty fun. It's pretty wild. I mean, Ben Wyatt would be pretty into it, but we got some other stuff to talk about. First though, I want to talk about our sponsor this week is Storyblocks. And they've been sponsoring our podcast for a few weeks now, so really thankful to them for supporting our show. Storyblocks is a library of royalty-free videos, audio, and stock images that you can use for anything that you're creating, whether it's for personal use or for profit. And the great thing about Storyblocks is that when you pay, you get access to a member library with hundreds of thousands of these assets, and you can use as many as you want. You can download an unlimited number and use them in in your projects for one low monthly or annual fee. And this is really useful if you are a YouTuber like us, I guess like me, you're not really a YouTuber. I'm only accidentally on YouTube. You are on YouTube, but yeah, you wouldn't call yourself a YouTuber. I tripped and I fell and I was on YouTube. You tripped and fell and you were on YouTube. Yep. it was That accident. just happens sometimes, you know? I'm a little bit more deliberate with it, yeah. you know? And not on this channel so much, but on my main channel, I often do need stock images and stock video files and audio clips and sound effects to make my videos more compelling. And I know when I make my videos more compelling, more people watch them, the channel grows, and I think that's been a really big differentiating factor in what's helped my channel grow. And I can point to a lot of friends of mine who have channels that use stock images, stock photos, and they use a lot of things that really visually illustrate what they're talking about and makes their vid- and make their videos a lot more compelling to watch, uh, but the problem is, a lot of times when you go to other sites to find stuff like this, you pay per piece of media. And I remember my girlfriend was looking for an image of an old timey boxer at one point. Um, I don't remember the guy's name, but you know the picture. It's like the dude, with the L- knuckles. L- little Mac. L- yeah, maybe yeah, Little it's, Mac. It's, it's Little <laughs> Mac, or like the historical uh, inspiration for Little Mac. Yeah, that guy. Uh And I think the site wanted hundred and fifty dollars just for the one image you know, and that's that's just crazy, so I ended up finding some really, really old pictures of other boxes that she could use, but in many cases that's like the only option you have if you're using a site like that, and I myself have paid like fifty bucks for one clip of footage in the past, and yeah, it spruces up the video, but that's eating into the budget. So if you have access to a huge library of high quality content like this, a lot of times you don't feel that creative restriction because you know that you can go and you can find almost anything you need, regardless of the project you're working on. They've got 400,000 images, 150,000 videos, and over 100,000 audio clips, both sound effects, transition noises, whooshes, pops, all that kind of stuff, and background music that you can use in your videos. And they're always adding more, so whenever you have a new project, you can find something new and fresh to add in. So If you are a creator or you've been wanting to create something and you want to make sure it's as high quality as possible, definitely go give Storyblocks a try. And right now, you can get access to all three of their libraries, the audio clips, the video clips, and the image library, all three as a bundle for $149 for an entire year. You can go to storyblocks.com slash collegeinfogeek to take advantage of that offer and help to support this show. So thanks to Storyblocks for sponsoring this episode, and let's get back to Everything is funnels. That's what I had to call this section here. Okay. So this is more of a fundamental and philosophical, or maybe not philosophical, but more strategic. That's the word. Strategic. Strategic, yeah. Strategic part of the episode. So we talked about the nuts and bolts of taxes and contracts already. What I want to talk about now is the lifeblood of your business. Regardless of what your business is, the lifeblood is cash flow. Money in, money out. Because... There needs to be more money coming in than going out if you want to be able to survive as a business. That is definitely true. Yep. So if you're a freelance web designer, you need to have enough clients to be bringing in money, and that needs to outweigh your expenses, both business expenses and your personal expenses. Same with a restaurant, same with anything. Now, the reason I called this section Everything is Funnels is because this is how I see business. Everything is a funnel with a wide mouth that goes down to a very narrow bottom. And because I'm an online content creator, this is the most easy example for me to think of. But say we have a product, which we don't right now, but say we do. Actually, no, we kind of do have a product. Okay, so let's say we have the print version of 10 Steps to Earning Awesome Grades, which is the free book that I offer to people. It's a free downloadable ebook, but if they want, they can go over to Amazon. They can buy it for about $10. So... I earn, I think, maybe $2.50 royalty on every copy sold of that book in print. So, just say we, that's the only thing we have. If that's the only thing we'd use to make money, then it's $2.50 times however many units we need to ship to not starve. And, I don't know, say we need to bring in $2,500 a month. So, I need to sell, what is that? 250 it's like 10
1: Or
0: not 250 It's like you know, a thousand. I don't yeah. I need to sell a thousand units per numbers. Month. I've been bad at math today. I don't know why, but <laughs> we need to ship a thousand units. So that gives us $2,500. All right. So a thousand units is a thousand customers, but that's the bottom of the funnel because I can't just go out to a random 1000 people and expect every single one of them to want to buy a copy of my book. All right. A lot of them are going to say no. And in almost any business, the vast majority of the people that you put your product out to are going to say no in the form of ignoring it. Or if you're doing a very direct sales model, they're just going to say no. Yeah. Flat out. We're not doing very direct sales at all. We're doing the one where people can ignore it because it's literally just a link on the download page. Hey, if you want it, you can download it. And it's not even that compelling because the book is free anyway. Yeah. So like it's only if people want the print version. So in order to get That thousand units shipped, we need to get the word out to way more people. And let's just say, back of the napkin numbers, we have a 1% conversion rate on it. That means we need to get 100,000 people the information that, hey, this book is for sale. You should buy it. Yeah. So that is what I mean by everything is funnels. You need to get out, you need to get your message out to a certain number of people, and then you need to tweak whatever variables need tweaking to bump that conversion rate percentage up as much as you possibly can. So that way you get more sales for the people that you're getting your message out to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you shouldn't be confused when people say, no, you should
0: say, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be expecting. Exactly. And this is, so this is a bit of a digression from entrepreneurship, but this is very important to keep in mind when you're looking for a job as well. Oh yeah. Job hunting is a funnel process because there's X number of people that you're going to go apply to, but there's only a few that are going to actually offer you a job or offer you an interview. And every funnel has multiple stages. So for us, it isn't just get people to know about the book and then people buy the book for us. It's how many views do we get on YouTube? Okay. So that's X number. How many people from the YouTube video actually click the link to go to the page where they can download the book that's a certain percentage. And we could probably go to our analytics program to figure out how many that is. Yeah. Then there's a certain fraction of those people who actually put in their email address and download the book. It's not all of them. So at every step, there's a filtering down. Then there's all those people. There's a certain percentage of people who actually click the link in the email and get the book. Now, luckily that is most of them as it should be, but there's still inevitably a few who don't. And then there is the very low percentage of people who are in that group who also want to buy the print version of the book. So we have a very multi-step funnel there. Um, So I think like the way to be successful with building a business funnel is one, figure out how to reduce the number of filtering points in your funnel before there's a sale. Uh, But more importantly, figure out how to get out to more people and for any given number of people you've gotten your message out to how to increase that inversion, conversion rate. Yeah. You can do that by making your pricing model more attractive. Now, it doesn't always mean you make your pricing model less. Sometimes more attractive is more expensive. Um, I was reading Anthony Bourdain's novel, or I guess it's a memoir, uh, Kitchen Confidential yesterday, and he was telling a story about how he and this guy from the restaurant he worked at as a teenager got together, and they did catering, and they totally did the Tom Haverford Entertainment 720 thing where they handed out business cards but said, hey, we're, we're too expensive for you and we're so we're super booked anyway. But it actually worked for them because they had, one, a track record of one very successful event they had done in the past. But two, they had built this perception of exclusivity, exclusivity and like they were the best people to hire, which made the desire go up. You know, if you're a fancy caterer, saying you can make super awesome wedding cakes or something. And you say, my wedding cakes are $10. I'm not buying your wedding cake. Yeah. You know, I, because what is it, It's going to be like a single cupcake you bought from Hy-Vee Something's with like a, a ring pop in it. You know, Aww. I expect to pay a couple of hundred bucks at least for a really good wedding cake. So if you tell me, yeah, it's $200, I'm going to rip your eyes out, but it's going to be great. Awesome. You know, you're going to build that perception. Yeah. So, and this isn't an episode all about pricing, but I do want to talk about that because some people think that cheaper is always better. And that's not the case. I shop at Target sometimes and not Walmart. I know Target's more expensive. Yeah, it definitely depends on your audience and what they're looking for. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, that that's also another factor of it. Who are you targeting? So if you're a web designer, you could target 10 people, who are just mom and pop shops who need a one page website and they're willing to pay 200 bucks for it and you'll make $2,000. Or you could target one person who needs a bit more of a complex website and you could charge 10 grand for that project. Well, now maybe it's a more difficult project, but you've just eliminated all the work involved in finding nine extra clients. Yeah. Your marketing budget is smaller. You have to do way less calls and meetings, way less you know, butt kissing, all that kind of stuff. You got one person you're working for. And in a lot of cases, maybe that one person is easier to work for. Maybe they're more professional. Maybe they understand that you are the designer, you're the coder. Whereas the person who's willing to pay less money is also a little bit more naive, thinks that they know better than you. It might be more frustrating.
1: Well, they may view your services as more of a commodity.
0: Exactly. The yeah. person
1: paying a lot knows they're paying you because you know what you're doing. That's mm-hmm. why you're a
0: lot. Yeah. One of my favorite stories about this is when Steve Jobs was looking for a logo for Next, which was the company he formed right after Apple. And I forget the guy's name, but he went to this really famous designer who lives in New York City. He had done logos for all kinds of companies. And when he contacted this guy, the guy said, I will do a logo for you. It will cost $75,000. And if you don't like it, you are free to not use it. But that's the logo I'll make for you. And of course, Steve Jobs being Steve Jobs, he had all these changes he wanted to make and everything. But the guy was like, no, this is the logo I'm going to make for you. And Steve really respected that. He really respected this guy, knowing that he was the expert. He had all of the experience and Steve was the client. Yeah. You know, whereas if he had just hired a person off of Fiverr.com, that person's not going to be treated with the same amount of respect because they command a $5 logo not a $75,000 logo. Yeah. Now, obviously, and I think this is something that a lot of people need to hear because I needed to hear it. If you want to be able to command respect and command a high price, you need something to back that up.
1: Oh, yeah. You can't can't just be like, this is my first project, but I'm thinking 20 grand. Exactly. Minimum.
0: You know, so the the entertainment 720 thing from Parks and Rec where Tom and whatever the guy's name is, John Ralphio, they're just like, oh, yeah, we're super booked up. And... I don't even think they had a product, but they had no <laughs> track record at all anyway. So they couldn't build hype, even with all their tactics that they thought would work. Whereas the Anthony Bourdain story, while very similar, they had one really successful event under their belt that was done for one of the most successful or tours in uh, the town there. So there was word getting around based off of their work. So if you have a great portfolio or you have testimonials from some really important people, Boom. Now you can command a high price. If you're just off the street, you have no experience, you're brand new at this point, maybe you want to work for free or you want to work for a huge discount. You know, all at that point you want to build relationships and you want to build a track record and you want to have some people who will vouch for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's the funnels. Um, now I think people are going to ask us how the funnel concept applies to advertising because a lot of people know that we literally just did a sponsorship spot for Storyblocks. So we're not just selling a product and it might seem like there isn't a funnel there because we have an advertisement on the YouTube video, which itself is the top of the funnel, right? I mean, that's kind of how it seems to me. So I did want to explain this because every business model does have um, a funnel behind it. So in this case, basically the way that advertisers buy ads is on something called a CPM. And I don't know why they call it CPM instead of CPT, because CPM just means cost per mille, which is thousand. It's fancier. I guess, hey, hey, it's fancier. There, we use jargon to keep the industries a little bit more lofty, a little more complicated sounding. Yeah. It basically means we're going to pay X dollars per thousand views. So, and this is just totally back of the napkin numbers, but let's just say you have a YouTube video that does a million views. Well, how many thousands is that? That's a thousand thousands. So, uh, all right, if I paid $2 per thousand, then I'm gonna pay you $2,000 for those million views. Yeah, And that's that's like right in the middle of what YouTube pays, though it's a big range of what YouTube pays. But from our perspective, yes, there is that CPM, so if you can drive a million views, you're gonna get that $2,000 or whatever CPM you can charge. But behind every CPM, is a cost per acquisition because companies aren't just paying for views. If there were no funnel behind the views, then the views are totally useless to that company that's paying for the ad, right? Yeah. You know, if Pokemon were paying us money just to say, Pokemon's cool. I mean, maybe we're building some brand awareness, but if we don't tell somebody, hey, go buy the new Pokemon game, it's not really doing much
1: for them. Yeah. They're hoping for us to put people into their top of the funnel that goes into their sales thing. Exactly. Exactly. Although Pokemon is cool,
0: you know, or a good example for our sponsor fact, our sponsor knows that not every single person who listens to this podcast is going to use their product, but a certain percentage will. So that's how they can do a CPM based on, we have a cost per acquisition. So if we're paying X number of dollars per thousand views and we have a conversion rate of 2% or 1%, then we can do the math and figure out what does it cost us to acquire one customer? And behind every CPA, cost per acquisition, is a customer lifetime value, which is another formula, complicated, three-letter acronym. Basically, all it says is, this is how much we expect to make off of a customer throughout the lifetime of them being a customer with us. Yeah, Um, There's some really good pricing studies about Netflix and how they figure out their customer lifetime value. that, That would be interesting. You know, and customer lifetime value is different for a monthly subscription, Uh, than it is for, say, a jeweler. You know, a jeweler can still do a customer lifetime value. You come in and you buy an engagement ring for me. I'm a jeweler. Well, I can say, all right, this guy's going to buy an engagement ring for me. If I'm really good, he's probably also going to come in and buy his wedding ring for me. And, you know, in 20 years, maybe he'll send his son here too. There's a a lower probability of that happening. But if you buy an engagement ring for me, you're probably going to buy your wedding ring for me too. So I can say, all right, you're average CLV is going to be whatever the engagement ring cost plus a probabilistic function of you buying a wedding ring and the average price of that. Yeah. And now based on that, I could say, all right, your CLV is $5,000. And based on that, I'm willing to pay $4,000 to acquire you as a customer. So I may, if I have a 1% conversion rate, I could take $4,000 and I could go and buy a certain amount of views. I'm not going to do the math in my head right now, Numbers, somebody listening at home can do the math, but it would be profitable. If I know I've got a 1% conversion rate, then I could take $4,000 and spend whatever it takes, or I could spend on some sort of platform that has a 1% conversion rate to get the number of views that would require to get me one customer. Yeah. And then if I get $5,000 from that customer, boom, I make a $1,000 profit. But there's a funnel behind everything. Yeah. Everything. Okay. So I did want to talk about the 12 standard types of value, but I don't know if we have time for that. And also I am remembering, I think we talked about it in the personal MBA episode. I think, I think we if might. that is true. Then definitely check you out very the personal well MBA it. so, episode. Yeah. It's a good episode. If you are interested in reading or reading and starting your own business, read this book. It's called the personal MBA by Josh Kaufman. And we did a podcast episode on it. So I will have that in the show notes, but there is a part in the first chapter pretty early on in the book where he describes the 12 types of value. And I think that's really interesting to read through if you are interested in running your own business, because it can open your eyes to the different opportunities out there. You might think right now, the only way to make money is to sell something, to sell a service or to sell widgets, but there are other ways to make money. You can do rental properties, you can do options trading, you can do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So definitely give it give that book a look, and it also goes into finance and marketing and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, the one thing I wanted to talk about to wrap this episode up though is the question of funding. So every business needs a certain amount of money to get off the ground. Most businesses can't immediately start making a profit. Maybe if you're a freelancer and let's just say you already have a ton of web development skill from a previous job or from some side projects it would be really easy for you to go and find a client and make money on your first thing. But for the most part, a lot of businesses, to get started, have to buy equipment and they have to pay for marketing before they can ever get off the ground, before they find their first customer. And that brings up the question, well, how do I get that initial money in the first place? Or if I'm puttering along at a certain rate in my business and I wanna grow it, well, how do I get an influx of capital to grow it? And a lot of people will go look for external funding uh, venture capital, angel funding, stuff like that. So, there's a pro in this, in that it can accelerate your business faster than you could grow it without that injection of capital. Capital <laughs> with capital, right? Because now, if you know you get a million dollar investment, you can hire some employees. Yeah, I can hire some engineers. I can hire some marketers. We can accelerate this thing. But and this is the big downside: the moment you accept external funding. Now you're no longer truly independent because now the investor who has put money into your business has a vested interest in you returning a profit. And if your business is in business for a reason other than just to make a profit, then that reason that you initially started with can be compromised by the external funding. For example, our mission with College and Bogeek is to provide the best information for students to improve their lives out there, you know, and we do certain things to make a profit. We have sponsors on some of my episodes. We have sponsors on my videos. You know, we sell certain things. But for the most part, we try to provide a lot of information for free. If we had a big company who had put a bunch of money into us, maybe one day they're oh, like, yeah. oh, you need to actually hold back on some of that information. Or you need to you need to price something yeah. higher. Like maybe we're going to sell a course someday. And they're like, oh, we, you need to price that higher. And maybe we wouldn't want to. Maybe we'd want to say, well, we want that course to be pretty cheap but so that people can afford us. it. But once, yeah, it's once they find you now, they
1: own us basically.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I want to end this with a quote from the people who ran the channel, every frame of painting, which is still on YouTube. And it is one of the best channels on YouTube. They do incredible video essays, but they did this post postmortem uh, article on medium about why their channel shut down. And they were talking about that iron triangle of any kind of media creation where it, it's good, fast, cheap oh, yeah. pick two. Yeah. It can be good and fast, but it's not going to be cheap. It can be fast and cheap, but it won't be good, or it can be cheap and good, but it won't be fast. Um, And when you're running your own channel, you're independent, you want your stuff to be good, so you're either willing to put a lot of money into it or for it to be slow. But, you know, say a big company owns your YouTube channel and they really want to increase profit and they know that they can increase profit by making longer videos and publishing daily, well, now maybe it won't be good anymore. You know, maybe they can game the algorithm, but the, the heart and soul of your content is gone. So, the quote from the article I wanted to share goes like this Unfortunately, no matter how hard you try, nobody can cheat this triangle. And sooner or later, all of these large sites will bleed money, at which point, some executive will say, We need to make our content both faster and cheaper. This is why we encourage every single person who wants to make something on the internet to understand the value of independence. This is not about artistic integrity or even money. We kept every frame of painting independent because as long as we could control this triangle, we could control the end result. So keep that in mind. Um, You know, I think people watching this podcast are likely to be students. At this point in your life, maybe you're thinking about a freelance venture or something small. So that's, you know, that's unlikely to bring in the concept of external funding. But I also... Believe very strongly that people who watch this podcast are very smart, they're very intelligent, and a good number of them are going to have entrepreneurial ideas that may require funding in the future. So I want you to keep this in mind. Keep in mind the value of independence and the value of being able to execute on your own vision without having somebody else's money um, bringing in their priorities. And I'm not saying you don't take funding. There are definitely, you know, there are investors out there who are also very ethical or who may be totally on board with your vision, but you have to do your due diligence and you have to realize that once somebody else's money is in the game, they have an incentive, they have a voice as well, and it can compromise what you want to do. So I think that's that's pretty good. I know you have a girlfriend to go pick up from the train station. I do,
1: I do. Cool.
0: So guys, episode. this is episode 190. You can find the show notes over at cigpodcast.com slash 190, or if you're on YouTube, click that link in the description down below. If you want to support this show, a great way to do it is over on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review. That helps bump us up the charts and just gives us good feedback. So huge thanks to you guys if you do that. And as always, thanks for listening. See you next week, and don't remember. I mean, don't forget. <laughs> don't, don't remember. Don't remember to don't rem- stay cute. Going with it. Don't remember to stay cute. Yeah. <laughs>